According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 2, picking up where we left off one week ago, taking it by faith that there will be an audio recording at the end of this hour. I'm skeptical. Okay. Take a moment for silent prayer to make sure uh, the pastor's in fellowship and uh, anyone else that might be in the room. Let's uh, ask him to bless our time in his word today. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning, for the truth of your word, for the privilege we have to assemble together. I do thank you, Father. We commit to you our time, that you would use it for whatever you want to do with it, Father, to glorify your Son, to build up your children, to teach us, to encourage us. Whatever needs to happen on this day, let it be done according to your will. I do thank you for brothers and sisters that made the decision to be here, that uh, decided that other things going on aren't as important, but Father, your word is the the primary important things in our life, and we thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 2, we're dealing with the temporal deliverance, the consequences of what happens when we take in the Word of God. Uh, We have the the first point of study as it relates to parents urging their children, and the details there with the if statements in the early verses. My son, if you will receive my words, if you will uh, cry for discernment, if you seek her as silver. And there's a whole bunch of ifs in the process of these, of these verses, letting you know that most people don't do this. A lot of people don't do this. Even kids that are raised right still have to come to their own volitional accountability. They must personally make the choice that nothing is more important than the truth. Secondly, the uh, fellowshipping with the Lord through the word of his mouth is verses 6 through 11. The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And uh, we are in a face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth relationship with Jesus Christ as his word goes forth from his mouth to our ears. And uh, the details here in verses 6 through 11. Thirdly, what happens when we take in that word? What happens when we take in that word? We have deliverance. The word of God will do things. The word of God will rescue us. The word of God will save us. The word of God will um, have impact. It's not just information. It is alive and it is powerful. And so we have verses 12 through 20 along with James 1, 21. All right? So as we look at it here, Uh, What does the word do? It will. Discretion will guard you. Verse 10 says, wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. This is what the word does. It is alive. It is powerful. It is doing things. And it has a purpose. The purpose is to deliver you. 
to deliver you. And we have to understand that being saved, being rescued, being delivered is, is a much bigger concept than the moment you received eternal life. Okay, The conversion moment of when you were passed from death into life, the conversion moment where you became a part of the royal family of God, marvelous moment, great moment, but it's bigger than that. And there is much more that happens after you're past that. The daily deliverance, the experiential salvation from sin and from temptation and from the philosophies and attitudes and mindsets that we need to be rescued from. All the fortresses we're told to, uh, to tear down in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, for example. Now, several important principles we want to understand is that we cannot be a testimony to our crooked and perverse generation if we're in bed with them, if we are participating in their unfruitful deeds of darkness. We cannot be a testimony to our crooked and perverse generation if we are participating in their unfruitful deeds of darkness. And so we don't walk with them. We're to be delivered from the way of the evil, the way of the evil one, or the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. And they're going to try to lure you in. They're going to invite you in. They're going to cajole. They're going to beg, uh, lie, cheat, and steal. They're going to do everything they can and uh, to bring you into their way of influence. This is what they do. And it is not just an individual action. It's not just one thing. Do, do one sin or do one thing. It is a lifestyle. Right? Ultimately, it is a death style. And I'm going to use that term this morning. I'm going to use that term on the slides. It is a death style. All right? So, um, to deliver you from the way of evil, we're told in verse 12 from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. It's one road or the other, and you can't get onto this road until you leave that road. Okay, So leaving the ways, the paths of uprightness. Don't join them. They've gone off the path. They're out there doing that. Don't follow them. Stay on the path you know you're supposed to be on to walk in the ways of darkness. They delight in doing evil. They rejoice in the perversity of of evil. Thank God for scriptures. Otherwise, how would we maintain our sanity in the midst of this insane planet, in the, in the, in the midst of this fallen, wicked, nasty culture that uh, calls good evil and evil good, that uh, denies that there is such a thing as perversion, all right, or perversity, okay? They deny that it exists because they're full of it. They're thick in the middle of it. They, they, uh, they, they celebrate it. They have parades. They have all these other things to celebrate their perversity. And yet, uh, Scripture is, cannot be broken. The God who cannot lie recorded the Scriptures that cannot be broken. And we either humble ourselves before Him and accept His truth, or we see how the rest of this chapter turns out. All right? Because uh, as the chapter closes in verse 21, the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. <clears throat> Judgment is coming. Christ will return and the wicked will be done away with. All right, so we cannot be a testimony to our crooked and perverse generation if we are participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And we have the scriptures there. We looked at them. We won't go back over them, but uh, Deuteronomy 32.5, Philippians 2.15 and 16, Ephesians 5.6-12, I think, are significant in, uh, in that regard. Now understand, evil, what is evil? Why, why do we have distinctions between sin and evil? What is evil? 
Evil is a crooked and perverse death style. <laughs> okay, It's not a lifestyle. They call it a lifestyle. But it's no kind of life that you and I want any part of. It's no kind of life as the Bible would define it. It is a death style. It is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And we're going to see death again and again and again throughout these chapters. So evil. It's more than just a deed that you do. Even if you do the deed a thousand times, it's the lifestyle or the death style. It's the mindset. It's the attitude that is on this course apart from the will of God. So, uh, described here in Proverbs 2, verses 12 through 15. It's going to come back again in chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 23. <clears throat> Doing wickedness is like a sport to a fool. <laughs> All right? And in some cases, uh, it's, uh, it's an Olympic caliber sport, right? They have, they have so exploded it and so magnified it that it's, uh, some sports can be big business. All right? Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. So are you dedicated to it? Are you making it a, a passion in your life? Are you pursuing it? It becomes a way of life. It becomes characteristic of your existence. Okay? And hopefully, maybe that's a better way to understand what this is, is about. You know, if, if <clears throat> golf is your life, <laughs> Okay, or bowling is your life, or let me pick a, a pastime maybe that, whatever, that if it's quilting, okay, no, I don't want to get that personal. I'll, I'll pick something that nobody here does so you won't get offended when I pick on your particular whatever. Uh, curling, okay, that, that dumb Canadian thing they call a, a sport in the Olympic Games, all right? If, if curling is your passion, if it is your life, if it is your, if it is everything to you, you you eat it, leave, you breathe, sleep. Everything is curling. You, you wake up in the morning, you're reading the curling fan magazines. You're you're reading the the curling statistics. You're you're memorizing the great heroes of of curling past. Okay, you maybe you make a trip to wherever the curling hall of fame is located. All right. Whatever your passion is, it could be bowling, could be baseball, could be golf, could be Scrabble, all right? Um, if, if you are so absorbed in an activity that it becomes your lifestyle, it becomes your life, it, becomes, it starts to define who you are, all right? So if, if I'm, okay, so I'm a pastor and I happen to play Scrabble, I like it in that order, all right? I don't want to be so characterized and consumed that I'm, I'm known to the world as a champion Scrabble player who, oh yeah, he also pastors a church somewhere. You see the difference? This is what the Bible defines as our life, our way, the path that we're on. And ultimately, I think we, we ought to be known as disciples of Jesus Christ that we are his children, that we are serving him. And oh yeah, we also happen to, um, whatever, we also happen to work at Guitar Center, we also happen to drive a truck, we also happen to whatever, okay? And I think far too many believers, they go to church and that's the add-on. That's the, oh yeah, he also goes to church, okay? And it's not characteristic or descriptive of who he is as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, 
This is what evil is. Evil becomes this lifestyle or this death style. Evil becomes this realm, this sphere that we operate in. And before we know it, it controls us. It, it saturates us. It guides our thinking. It shapes our attitudes. It, we don't even, we, it's hard to even break free from, from that, that mindset. So evil is a crooked and perverse death style. This death style celebrates perversity. What the Scripture says is perverse and we want nothing to do with it. The unbelievers come along and they celebrate it. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6. be another passage here that I think bears to this point. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 6. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Okay, That's what love does. Evil does the opposite. Evil does what this verse says love doesn't do. It rejoices in unrighteousness. This is the crooked and perverse generation that celebrates all things that stand opposed to truth. And so there, you na- it doesn't matter. You can, you, can, you can name this in a heartbeat. You can you throw out an issue. And if you know that there's a biblical standard, you know that there is a world movement, a cosmic movement, a satanic movement that's going to attack it. They're going to attack marriage. They're going to attack families. They're going to attack nations. They're going to attack everything God designed. All right? Doesn't, you name it. If there's a biblical pattern for it, then Satan's got an attack against it, a substitute for it, a replacement that's even better, an alternative. And who are you to say this is wrong? Okay? That's the nature of what evil does. A crooked and perverse death style. Philippians 3.19. How about uh, your God is your belly, right? Or uh, celebrating these things. <clears throat> Philippians uh, 3.17 says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. And this would be very compatible with Proverbs. It would be very compatible with the idea that we are to be imitators of God and we are to follow the right path and avoid the, the wrong path. It goes on to say, For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. It's not, it's not a joyful thing to think about this kind of stuff. It's not, it gives us no pleasure to talk about this kind of stuff. To, uh, to talk about the perversions for what it is doesn't make us feel better about who we are. It causes us to weep over those perversions and the, and the brothers and the sisters that are enslaved to those perversions because it's not necessary. They could have the same freedom we have. They, in many cases, you know, if they're saved, then they have the same deliverance as we have. They've just gone back to the vomit and submitted to the things that are just so unnecessary. That's why Paul says, I tell you now even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. In spite of everything else, they're human beings in the image of God exercising their volition, and they will reap what they sow. And as they reap what they sow, God will be glorified. He will be glorified in their destruction. Temporal discipline, obviously if they're saved, then they won't have the eternal destruction, but we we understand how this works whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. It's all about me, <clears throat> what I want, and every kind of appetite imaginable. Okay, Food, sex, 
fame, whatever, whose glory is in their shame. <laughs> you, you realize that when you reach this particular point, then even shame is something to brag about. Shame is something to, wow, you know, and we're not, we're not even ashamed of what we should be ashamed of anymore. Now we, we, uh, we make Facebook postings on it and we celebrate, hey, look at this. Watch what I'm doing. I'm better at you and all these uh, perversions. They glory in their shame. And ooh, let's get a let's get some big public relations thing out of this, and let's get a TV interview, and let's uh, all these other things. Who set their minds on earthly things? Notice it's a mindset. I like the expression mindset because <clears throat> once your mind is set somewhere, it's so hard to get it redirected. That's why it's called a fortress. We've got to destroy those fortresses in uh, taking every thought captive. Finally, then Second Peter two thirteen. Second Peter two thirteen. <clears throat> this concept came up in our session last hour, a training session with these men. <clears throat> Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. That's just the cost of doing business. <laughs> you know? If you're going to be in this line of work, then these are, these are kind of your given expenses. It goes with the territory. I've got this, uh, this kind of job. These are the fixed expenses. I've got this kind of career. Well, that's the cost of doing business. Um, anyway, there's, we understand how that works. Well, these systems of evil, these systems of evil realize, yeah, they're paying the price, but they're willing to pay the price. Yeah, they'll just take that as a, as a business expense. Yeah, I'm paying that price, but it goes with the territory. What else are you going to do? I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to feed my lust. I'm going to do what I'm doing. And if it means, uh, if it means uh, you know, it destroys my marriage and wrecks my kids and blows up my church and whatever, well, well, it's a price to pay. I'll pay it because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Hmm. And you load us. It's not even human at that point. Um, if you back up and you see the angels in the context of verse 11 and you see the, uh, these false teachers in verse 12, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. That's what an animal is. No logic to it. There's no reason to it. No rational thought. No uh, glory that should be there in the image of God. Instead, it's just bestial. It's a, or bestial, I guess. It's just um, it's this animalistic tragedy in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed and anyway there it is so they counted a pleasure let me finish the rest of verse 13 here suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime (laughs) you know when they were first starting out all the revelry was on you know at night all the revelry was on the weekends all the revelry was you know you worked uh you worked Monday through Friday just to get to the weekend, right? And then, uh, well, now, now it's in the daytime. Now it's around the clock. Now it's not just weekends. Now it's all day, every day. And wow, counting it a pleasure. It's fun to be pursuing this. Stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. 
not content to wreck their own lives. They want to bring in as many folks as they can to join them in that destruction. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Now there's a description for you right there. So this is evil. This is the way of evil. And we know where this goes. We see it all around us. We see it in our culture. We see it in our nation. We see it in this fallen world. And we observe that it's getting worse. God promised that it's getting worse. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Our children will face things we can't even dream of. And that that's boggles the mind because we're facing things our parents could never dream of. And I, I don't even want to try to fathom what our children and grandchildren are going to face if, if the Lord delays that long. This is what uh, the Word of God will deliver us from, if we let it, if we respond to it. Now, secondly, our non-participation becomes a testimony in itself. Our non-participation becomes a testimony in itself. And you won't necessarily have to be even preaching at them or to them. You're walking the walk of your integrity before the Lord. You are conducting yourself in a manner pleasing to God the Father. And they see it. They see it. They don't understand it. They probably don't like it. They're going to mock you for it. They're going to do what they can to get you. All right? The unstable tempters the unstable temptresses. In particular, you become a target. You become a choice target. Our non-participation becomes a testimony in itself. Philippians 2, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 5. Philippians 2. Part of the humility that we have, we're imitators of Christ. He, will, he humbled himself and came to uh, live his earthly walk. We humble ourselves as we live out our earthly walk. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If we're humble before him and we're letting his word come into our soul and we're letting him do the work, then we can see these are the results. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves, demonstrate, exhibit. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But now notice, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Ah, if your light shining like that, what's the, what's the consequence? What's the end result? Somebody is going to see that. But it will only happen if you fulfill then verse 16, holding fast the word of life. (laughs) Okay? You let go of the word of life. If you stop being transformed, if you stop being renewed in the spirit of your mind, if you stop letting the, the wisdom from God enter your soul and be a delight, if you stop applying what we're learning today, what happens to your light? What happens to your testimony? You're going to be conformed to the world. That holding fast the word of life as a participle there shows you the contemporaneous action to how in the world you're going to fulfill verses 14 and 15. 
All right. Also, First uh, Peter four verses one through five. And, uh, you know, the world, they're not going to understand it. They're going to be surprised, particularly if they remember you back in the day. (laughs) Okay? If this crowd we're talking about um, was your old crowd, and uh, they remember the the old you, and they're pretty convinced that this, you know, this religion kick is not going to last much longer anyway, because come on, that's no fun. How long are you going to do that for? You'll get over it. You'll come back. Verse 3, uh, well, we got the, the example of Christ. Christ has suffered in the flesh since he has. Since he has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. What's the same purpose? For us to suffer in the flesh too? Or for us to go to the cross? Or for us to do it? No, to be done with it. <laughs> He's done with it. He, he suffered in the flesh once and for all so that he could do away with sin. We should have the same purpose as well. Look, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's put it away. He's finished it. He accepted all the wrath. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of man, but for the will of God. What did Jesus do on the cross? Why am I still sinning? Why am I still pursuing evil? Why am I still, you know, if that's what I was going to do my whole life, why did he even, he didn't need to go to the cross. He could have just stayed in heaven and left me to what I was doing. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. I love this. The time past is sufficient. And, and God doesn't care, and the Scriptures don't care, and I don't care how long you were an unbeliever, how many sins you accomplished, how bad was your badness. Whatever it was, it's sufficient. <laughs> All right? Whatever it was, that's enough. Enough of that. Enough of that. Now we want to move forward. Okay? So the time already passed is sufficient for you to have done all this whole list of stuff. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Okay? That's the old life. That's without Christ. And that's enough of that. Then in verse 4, In all of this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you. First of all, you're not running with them. And then it turns to excess. You ever notice that? Like drugs, any addiction, any of these sin patterns. It just kind of loses the thrill. It loses, you got to do more of it. It loses the high, so I got to do more of it. And, uh, and, and just, in any event, that's the, that's the, I think that's the grace of God in action whereby He. Uh, permits the sin, but he also assigns the diminishing returns. He also has the passing pleasures of sin. He designed it so by when humanity starts to do all the stuff they're doing, it's just the longer they're doing it, the sadder they're getting. Even when they convince themselves, ooh, we're having fun now, right? Worshiping at the porcelain idol and puking your guts up with all kinds of drunkenness. and Yep, well, we're having fun now, aren't we? And then they're all surprised. Well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this? Are you better than me? Who do you think you are? You're no better than me. So they, now they start to malign you. Where do you get off saying that you're, ooh, you got all Jesus on me now. Now, oh, you're a better person than me now, huh? And all the ugliness directed there. Well, don't be surprised. 
Because they hate Christ before they hate you. And yet, they will, verse 5, give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. (laughs) Isn't that great? Because we don't know when that judgment day is going to come. We don't know if it's today, we don't know if it's tomorrow, we don't know if it's a thousand years from now. But we do know that he's ready. (laughs) We do know that all judgment has been given to him. We do know that he has accomplished the will of God on the cross. We do know now that uh, that he came the first time without judgment, but he's coming the second time without reference to sin because he dealt with that in the first advent. He's going to be coming for judgment in the second advent. All right, well, our non-participation becomes a testimony in itself. Point three, beyond the practice of sin, Beyond the practice of sin. That's bad enough. Beyond the practice of sin, it is disgraceful to talk about it. It is dangerous to even think about it. Beyond the practice of sin, it is disgraceful to talk about it, according to Ephesians 6.12. And it is even dangerous to think about it. Romans 1.28, 1 Timothy 6.5, and 2 Timothy 3.8. Why is it dangerous to think about it? Well, where do you want your mind to dwell? Where do you want your mind to dwell? Now, limited thoughts as far as prayer, limited thoughts in terms of um, identifying the will of God and, and so forth. But we're, when we talk about thinking about it and dwelling on it and cycling it through and all the, the lingering uh, fantasy life, I wonder sometimes if a lot of these Catholic priests get themselves in trouble with all the confessions they listen to. You know? Are they, are they living vicariously through whatever? Are they, are, they, are they happy to hear all the juicy details of what, what was going on and who was doing what and where they were doing it with? and Different things. All right. You know, and, and certain things are disgraceful to talk about. And yet, they're recorded this way. Ephesians 6.12, let's see what this is about. 5.12, okay. Thank you. Most likely. Yeah, 5.12. The um, do not participate, it says in verse 11. So beyond that, there's the practice of sin. Okay? And understand that this is not legalism. This is not uh, human do-goodism. Okay? The Christian way of life is not a bunch of goody-two-shoes that are just, um, you know... uh, throwing a wet blanket on all the fun everybody else is having. (laughs) No. The Christian way of life is humbly responding to the grace that redeems us, walking in a manner worthy of the Christ who saved us, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved you. It says in verse 3, fornication or impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Not even named among you. So, 
This is beyond even the achieving of the deed, but even the reputation of the deed. And keeping the proper, even the appearance of evil can become a problem if, if somebody thinks this is what's going on. That's why we avoid evil. We avoid the appearance of evil. And uh, notice, as is proper among saints, proper, appropriate, fitting, just. God is a God of justice. God is, is ultimate justice. And so what is keeping with our position as set-apart ones? God saved us. He redeemed us. He set us apart. He called us out of this fallen world to himself. And so there is a walk that is consistent with that, that is compatible with that walk of holiness. It's what sanctification and holiness is, is all about. And so there must not be filthiness and silly talk, coarse jesting. They're not fitting or proper, but rather the giving of thanks. The giving of thanks. Now, there's a contrast. Verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God presently, now in time, comes upon the sons of disobedience. So therefore, do not be partakers with them. You get caught up in what they're doing, you're going to face the consequences. You were formerly darkness, now you are light. Walk as children of light. As we saw in uh, the Peter passage, the time past is sufficient. That's what you used to do. Now you're children of light. So, um, the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Now how do we expose them? I'll give you a clue. It's the light that you're producing in verse 13. It's the light that you're producing when you're walking with God, when you're in the Word of God. Okay? It's not that you are, uh, you're, not, you're not intruding into their privacy. You're not snooping into their business. You're not uh, blabbing their sins to the world. That's gossip. That's slander. That's just as wrong as what they're doing. But you expose what they're doing when your light shines. Light will shine in the darkness. That's what light does. Uh, verse 13, I think, is the best explanation for verse 11. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. So you don't need to intrude or poke or prod. You don't even, you know, fundamentally, you don't have to know all the dirty details. It's better that you don't. You know, it's better that you don't. Um, you know what's going on, just don't think about it. Okay, You know where they are and who they're with, don't poison your heart. Don't, don't, don't blacken your mind by trying to visualize or think about or, or wonder anything, okay? <laughs> Shape, size, color, don't, you know, too much detail. Too much information, don't poison your mind with it. What you know on a limited basis, leave it with that. Take that thought captive, give it to Jesus Christ, make it a prayer item. All right, And as you walk in the integrity of your walk before the Lord in the Word of God, your light shines. All right, Your light shines. So, uh, in the middle of verse 11 and 13 then is verse 12. It is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Alright? Disgraceful even to speak. And this is, this is in the midst of, of this larger context where we're talking about what's proper, what's fitting. We're talking about disgraceful as a, as a um, matter of, of appropriate or inappropriateness. Okay? 
even to speak of the things. Anyway, and, and the world understands this because they hate it. They will use it in their own ways. They will use it in their own expressions and they're mocking the word of god talking about the the love that should not be spoken not love and it should not be spoken scripture says it ought not be spoken so disgraceful to talk about dangerous to even think about notice romans 128 we don't want to defile our minds with these kind of thoughts We have a sequence here where there's the giving over, the giving over, the giving over. And God is so patient and faithful. But in verse 24, He gives them over. In verse 26, He gives them over. And in verse 28, He gives them over. If you want more on this, you can get it in the Roman series. But... um, you notice in verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Here's the first giving over. And, and the effect is physical sin. The effect is, is deeds that are done. Then in verse 26, a second giving over, now it's to degrading passions. Now the sin has reached a perversion where things are not even natural. And so, I mean, at least... At least in the early giving over, you can kind of understand there's passing pleasures of sin. You can kind of understand that that you know there's a, there's physical fun with physical things, but um, now it's it's plunged to an even deeper level where it's degrading, dehumanizing, not natural in the realms of homosexuality and lesbianism that's spoken of here. Uh, women exchanging the natural function for that which is unnatural, and men abandoning the natural function, burning in desire one towards another. So you got lesbians in 26 and homosexual men in 27. Then there's the third giving over in verse 28. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. Now the third giving over is the worst of all to a depraved mind. To do uh, to the depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, and being filled with this is where instead of the filling of the Holy Spirit, Doug, instead of the filling of the Holy Spirit, we've got all kinds of fillings. Okay, filling. Uh, remember, eyes full of adultery, the unstable souls. Here's more filling. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife. And so forth. See, but don't confuse the list of things with the real issue is that depraved mind there and that third giving over. Anyway, dangerous to think about. First Timothy six five. First Timothy six five. Scripture time and time again tells us that it's our thinking where we are accountable. Here are men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Depraved mind and deprived of the truth. And interestingly enough, these guys are preachers in churches. <laughs> okay? These aren't, the, these aren't the drunk fornicators out there in the honky-tonks on Saturday night. These are men in pulpits on Sunday morning. As it says, if anyone... 
It says, uh, teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine, does not agree with these sound words, um, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has a morbid interest in controversial questions, disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They're using their religion racket to make all kinds of money, hand over fist. And then they're building these mega church empires and they've got these books and radios and all this kind of stuff. Big money. Big money deals. That godliness is a means of gain and yet they are men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. All right. And then finally, 2 Timothy 3, 8. Again, we've got a uh, church context here. Ever learning and ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. You know, they're holding to a form of godliness while denying its power. Verse 8 says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected or shipwrecked in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. God allows it. He permits it. He allows for these depraved minds to uh, be seen for what they are, so that those who stand for truth as the light shines, expose it. Their folly will be obvious to all. I like that. That's the uh, folly of, or the theorem of obviosity. (laughs) The theorem of obviosity. Okay? What else does the Word of God rescue us for? Or rescue us from? Point B now. All of those were under sub-point A. Are you following? All right. So we had main point three, temporal deliverance. Temporal deliverance is the consequence of spiritual fellowship in the Word of God. At some point A, we cannot be a testimony if we're participating in their unfruitful deeds. Now subpoint B, the Word of God rescues us from the all-too-common pitfall of sexual immorality. The Word of God rescues us from the all-too-common pitfall of sexual immorality. That's not the only thing it rescues us from, but boy, it's a big item on the list, okay? It's a big item on the list. Obviously, the Word of God will rescue us from every evil way. It will rescue us from the non-sexual sins. It will rescue us from the mental attitude sins and the sins of the tongue and pride and everything else. But what we're going to see in these early chapters in Proverbs, in the parental wisdom portion of the book of Proverbs, what we're going to see is a heavy dose of um, sexual doctrine. Teaching that is geared towards a young person teaching that is geared towards uh, a generation that is about to launch into their own adult capacity. And that's the nature of these early chapters here, verses chapters 1 through 9 here in, in uh, parental wisdom. And uh, so we see it here. And let me get back to Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 20. And I'm not saying that the lust sins are worse than the other sins, but they do carry consequences that other sins don't carry bodily uh, consequences that other sins don't carry and in some cases lifelong damage that's done that other sins do not carry 
and I think the scripture very rightly is um, uh, appropriate to make this a point of emphasis among young people, that they don't do the the irreparable damage to themselves um, at the start of their adult capacity. All right, Proverbs 2, verses 16 through 20, to deliver you from the strange woman. So here's our second to deliver you from, okay? There's to deliver you from the way of evil in verse 12 and all the things we've been dealing with there, and now to deliver you from the strange woman, the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. There's no good end to this. It is a one-way road and it goes the same place every time. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of of the righteous. All right, so there's the second to deliver you from. And we give you these details now under main point or under sub point B. The word of God rescues us from the all too common pitfall of sexual immorality. Now, who are these strange women? All right. Are these just females with quirky personalities? <laughs> Is that why they're strange? Okay. It's not strange in terms of weird or strange in terms of goofy. If that's what you're worried about this morning, then relax. Okay. You can keep on being weird and strange and goofy. But the biblical definition of a strange woman is used here in parallel with adulteress, is used here in parallel with other things that are strange, like strange fire, okay, that is offered on an altar to an idol. It's called strange fire. In a couple of Hebrew terms, um, if we really want to get into it, we can. There's two primary ones, and they're both right here. Whereas Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers feature strange fire, Proverbs spotlights the strange woman. And what's common between fire and women in, uh, in these passages is the, uh, is the identification that strange is not what God designed. Okay, What God designed is, is right and proper and perfect and holy and, and, and good. And then anything that branches away from that is strange, misses the mark, falls short of the glory of God. Whether it's the altar or the offering that you bring, when he wants blood and you bring vegetables, okay, the Cain and Abel contrast, or Nadab and Abihu who brought strange fire before the Lord, wasn't what God demanded, wasn't what God expected, all right? Or... Uh, Human sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage where God designed it is strange by the Hebrew definition of the term, okay? Strange, and what's the strangest thing of all is how destructive it is, self-destructive, and yet everybody rushes down that path, (laughs) okay? Can a man stick fire in his bosom and not be burned? You got a lit torch and you shove it down your shirt, that's going to hurt, okay? That's going to hurt every time. So uh, let's take a look at these, and, and then that will hopefully give us the, the flavor that we need for the strange women, okay? So starting in Exodus 30, we've got examples throughout the Pentateuch, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
And, uh, you know, they taught fornication and adultery in the, in the, under the law. I mean, it's part of the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But it wasn't until the wisdom literature that God in Scripture chose to make the heavy emphasis that He did. All right, because it's in the wisdom literature then that we have parents training up children, that we have the, the family setting where these values are instilled. All right, Exodus 30 and verse 9. Again, we're looking at main point one here, or sub point one under point B. Whereas Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers featured strange fire. Proverbs spotlights the strange woman. So, strange fire in Exodus 30 and verse 9. Uh, there are procedures to be followed here, and all of this is spelled out. And um, from the altar to the, uh, uh, the place for the burning incense, you shall make it of acacia wood. Its length shall be a cubit. Its width shall be a cubit. It shall be a square. Its height shall be two cubits. Its horn shall be one piece with it. All right, anyway, all these instructions. Then verse uh, 6, you shall put this altar in front of the veil that is near the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat. Why, why did it have to be so close? Why did it have to be right there up against the veil? Well, where's the smoke going to go? All right, where's the smoke going to go? Um, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. And when Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So we've got fragrant incense in the morning when he trims the lamps, and then we have incense uh, in the evening or at twilight twice a day when he's trimming the lamps. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer any strange incense on this altar, or burnt offering, or meal offering, or you shall not pour out a drink offering on it. In other words, everything has to be what he said, how he said, where he said, when he said, and why he said. And who he said. Okay? Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And that's all his good pleasure to stipulate because he is the God of the universe that chooses how he is to be worshipped. How he is to be approached. And uh, we're not free to pick what we want. And to change the formula of whatever, to offer a different kind of incense, a different kind of... Uh, say, well, what's wrong with this? Why doesn't he like this? I like this. Okay? In some cases, what they were burning was um, mind-altering. <laughs> All right? A lot of the pagans like to smoke a lot of peyote and whatever else. Okay? And don't think that that wasn't going on in Bible times and what they were smoking, and what they were breathing, and any of that. All right. So there's Exodus 30. Over to um, Leviticus. Leviticus 10.1. We have the Hebrew expression again. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, you, you can violate his command in terms of time, in terms of place, in terms of what. In this case, it's the what. They brought the wrong incense, the wrong 
content. Okay? And so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This is the great high priest of Israel, his firstborn son, his secondborn son. God's not a respecter of persons. If you defy his will, he doesn't care who you are. He's not impressed with your pedigree. (laughs) Okay? So there it is. Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy. Before all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. He just lost two sons. He just lost his two oldest boys. Still has Eleazar and Ithamar, but Nadab and Abihu were the firstborn and secondborn. All right. Uh, Numbers. Chapter 3 and chapter 26. Numbers 3 and verse 4. My pages are so sticky today. Somebody's coming in here at night and making my pages sticky. Okay. Numbers 3 4. Again, it's with reference back to these are the generations of Aaron. These are the names of the sons of Aaron Nadab, the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. And consider what could have been. Consider what could have been. When David organized the priesthood and he classified them into 24 divisions, uh, Eleazar had 16 divisions, Ithamar had 8 divisions, and and David structured them all in in such a fashion. What might have been with all four of these sons of Aaron and their courses and their divisions and whatnot? But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. And then, of course, Eleazar was the older, so he succeeded. He became the high priest at the death of, at the death of Aaron. Twenty six sixty one numbers twenty six sixty one. There it is again. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Okay, I kind of hope they were saved. You know and. We'll get a chance to meet him in heaven. And, and I mean, this is what they're known for throughout all of Scripture. You know, they'll introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Nadab. Oh, are you the Nadab? <laughs> yep. All right. We'll come back next week and we'll uh, take a look at Proverbs 2, Proverbs 5, 6, 7. How many times do we get this story? Jeepers. Chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Okay? You might be a teenager saying, Dad, come on, you told me this already. How many times are you going to tell me this? Well, chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Again and again and again and again and again. Going to pound it into you, going to pound it into you, and you're going to dream dreams of dad saying, beware of the strange woman, right? Keep your eyes on the Lord. Glorify the Lord. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Uh, Thank you, Father, for this message. And... uh, whether it recorded or didn't, or whatever else is going to happen with it, you sent it forth, it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And I thank you that your word never, ever returns void. It lives inside of us. It does what you want it to do. It will guard us, it will protect us, it will rescue us if we don't quench it, if we don't grieve it, if we don't resist it, if we humble ourselves before it, if we unite the word with faith.
Father, I pray that your word would profit us today abundantly. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.